So we're in week two of this conversation that we're, we've been having about money. And, uh, you know, money's a funny thing. Last week, we started out with basically step one, the most important thing you can do as it pertains to living inside of God's favor, God's financial blessing. Um, you know, money is one of those things, we think of it as sort of shallow on the surface, but it's just a big deal. It takes money to do stuff in our lives. And it also has implication for every other areas of our lives. And last week, this is what we said. Step one, the most important thing we can do is learn to view God as our provider. Because if I view God as my provider, it will create gratitude in my heart, which will then create a desire for me to cooperate with him. So the most important thing we can do is view God as our provider. Because what it also does is it causes us to look back in time and see all the ways that God has provided for us up till now and say, wow, you know what? I think I can have faith that God's going to provide for tomorrow as well. But if we don't view God as our provider, uh, we tend to do a couple of things. One is we just ignore what he says about finances altogether. Uh, that's probably the most common response. The other possibility is some of us will, uh, if we don't view God as our provider, we'll still sort of fulfill our financial obligations to God, but we do it out of a sense of duty, right? Like, I made the number, so now God can't talk to me about being generous in any, in any other way. The most important thing we can do is view God as our provider. You know what? Peter and Laura are making a big step to move all the way to Hawaii. Step of faith, uh, as you've shared all along the way. But you know what's amazing to me? Every conversation I've had with Peter, he's said, you know what? God's going to take care of this issue and that issue. Because you have a long history of seeing him come through in a lot of ways. Really, really important. But the subject of money still remains, at best, sensitive. At worst, kind of sore. So sometimes people will ask me, why talk about it? Why talk about it if it's a sore subject? And the really simple answer is because Jesus talked about it all the time. Uh, you may not realize this, but Jesus actually talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. Uh, it turns out it's kind of a big deal to him. Uh, if you read through the parables, through the Gospels, you'll actually find that almost half of the parables, uh, wealth, and, uh, wealth and the things you can do with it, basically, possessions, are the principal subject of nearly half of Jesus' parables. Uh, I didn't realize that until I heard somebody say that the other day, and then I had to go check for myself, and sure enough, it turns out Jesus knew something that we didn't know. Jesus knew that money and the things that we can do with it would actually be one of the chief predators of your soul and mine. Jesus understood that. It's why Jesus said in Matthew 6 that where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And it's so true. I'm fairly confident that no one here woke up this morning and went, okay, uh, good or evil? Which one? Which way do I want to go? Like, do I want to serve God or Satan? Nobody wrestles with that decision. We're much more likely to be enticed uh, by what Jesus often called the desires of the flesh. And money is certainly one of them, the things we can do with it. But in this verse where Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also, this is what I love about this verse. If you read through the context of that, what you see is Jesus is not trying to remove the treasure. What he's actually trying to do is redirect the heart towards something better. He's concerned about the heart. And so when people want to know why we talk about money, it's because of that. My hope for you, my hope for everyone who's attached to Center Church, is that we would be able to live free from the grip of finances, from the grip of money, uh, that we would be able to experience the joy of just being generous. Have you, ever, have you ever been generous at some point and thought, you know what, that was awesome. 
That was a really great thing. I wish I could do that more often. My hope is that we'll experience that more. My hope is that as we grow in our faith and our trust in God, what we'll actually see isn't that we're giving more stuff away, that probably will happen, but that we'll actually see God wants to be generous in his provision for us. Those are the things that I hope for each of us. And so that's why we've, uh, we've for the first time in our young history as a church, have decided, let's, let's make a focus on money. And, uh, you know, the money, money is such a funny thing. <laughs> the time in place that we live in is, um, is one where we just have a lot. We kind of talked about that last week. Um, it turns out that in the spectrum of all humanity, uh, most of us are loaded. <laughs> you know, not many, many of us are like slipping by on that because we just live in a place where even the poor in our society have options. You know, in our society, if you're in trouble, uh, you, can, you can just borrow someone's phone and push three digits and help will arrive. Or if you have no food, uh, you can go to places that will feed you or no place to stay. We have those things in our culture. We just have a lot. And for us as Christians, people who are uh, surrendered to Christ, this abundance that we live in, we don't face the same struggles that the early church faced. The abundance that we live in, it kind of pulls us toward being what a guy named Gene Apple called being economic atheists. Uh, I've used the phrase fundamental atheist several times over the years, and, and uh, he pointed it towards finances specifically, but this is what it basically means. Uh, he, he gave us his definition. He said, it's someone who believes they can live outside the economic fences of God's favor. So it looks like this. Uh, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe absolutely that he paid for my sins. Uh, I trust God with my eternal destiny. Uh, I'm certainly raising my children to the best of my ability, the way God has laid it out in front of me. Uh, I'm trying to be a godly husband. I'm trying to have godly character. I, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. But there's this one area over here where I'm living as if there was no God. So I'll give you an example. Hopefully this won't strike at home for you. Uh, hopefully it's just a generic example. Um, we trust Jesus in every area of our life except for there was this one time a long time ago when someone really hurt me and I'm pretty bitter about it. I'm going to go and hang on to that. Jesus is still like my God, but, but in this one area, compartment of our life, we kind of live like, like an atheist. Hopefully that's not you. I definitely wasn't talking about you if it is. But finances is often one of those for a lot of them. Uh, I'll be the first to raise my hand. Money's tough to let go of. Uh, my wife and I, we have this weird dynamic because I'm the person who believes in, like, if you can, just buy the good one so you don't have to worry about it. But she's a person who uh, we battle about our toaster all the time. <laughs> she believes that the cheapest toaster that will actually transform bread from not toast into toast, that's the best toaster. And I'm here to tell you, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. Uh, don't buy the cheapest toaster. <laughs> Money's hard to let go of. She, she has a hard time with that. Uh, I probably should have a harder time with it. Uh, but you know what? Sometimes we do have this tendency to, um, to say, okay, like, I trust God. I honestly do. I honestly trust God. But in this one area, I'm kind of living a little bit as if there was no God. It's a little bit harder for me to trust God in that area. If that's you, you are not alone. That's, that's, you're not unique in that way. The economic atheist is basically the person who hasn't quite reached the point of trusting God's promises for their financial well-being. And a lot of us, uh, a lot of us at times live that way. And so, uh, so for a lot of us, financial, finances are the big area. Now, 
Here's the thing about money. God has established some financial fences in the scripture. And that's what I want to talk about in the remainder of our time together. I'll get this out of the way. Pastor Rick saw the fence earlier this week, and he thought that it would be a really good idea for him to bring a big giant D and put it right here. A little football joke for you. So if you happen to be packing a cardboard capital D along with you, now's your time. Speak now. Okay. No D fence. Uh, just a regular fence. I think if you follow the analogy of the fence, it actually will, will make a lot of sense for you and be, be really, really helpful. Think about the function of a fence. What does it do? You, you put a fence around your property to keep the kids in, keep the dog in, uh, keep the neighbor's dog out, keep uh, that guy that keeps driving up and down the street really slow out, all right? You keep the kids in, you, you keep the intruder out. Uh, or maybe a different kind of fence like a guardrail. You know, it keeps the car where the car should be and not over the cliff. Uh, or if you've driven along a highway where there's like a rock face and sometimes they have fencing like attached to them to keep the rocks off the, off the highway, the fence keeps the in, in, and the out, out. It's there for protection, right? I mean, that's sort of the essential function of the fence. Well, what happens is there's something on the other side of the fence. You can go on the other side of the fence, but what happens when you do? You leave the area of protection. And that's how God's economic fences in our lives work. It's true for economics. It's true for every other area of life. It's just harder to swallow when it comes to money. So think about it this way. If I said to you that, uh, you know, God has set up a fence around your marriage, fidelity. God wants you to be faithful to your spouse. It's not hard for you to believe that if you leave that fence, it's going to be damaging to your marriage. Uh, I think you can easily believe that. Uh, I can assure you that it will. Uh, here's the thing, though. When it comes to money, there's something on the other side of the fence, and I don't know. I mean, I might be willing to go out and check it out because it's a little more sneaky than some of the other fences. It's a little harder to, to swallow, but there is consequences when you violate the fence. I witnessed this firsthand. Uh, Little League World Series is going on. Anybody been watching that? Love seeing those kids out there doing their thing. Uh, it's awesome. There's a few of them. Like, I'm going to need to see a birth certificate for sure. But, uh, but it's fun. I love watching the kids do their thing. I played Little League Baseball. Uh, one of the teams I played on, probably the best team I played on, was sponsored by Burger King. And I probably told you this before, but our rival team, this is not a joke, as God is my witness, our rival team, McDonald's. Not even making it up. And uh, one particular game, I don't remember if we were playing McDonald's or not, but I was playing center field, we were in the field, and a kid named Paul was playing in left field. Uh, and I'm in center field, and the batter hits one deep to left field, and Paul turns around, and he starts running straight back toward the fence. And I can kind of see from my vantage point, I'm like, as I'm running to back up the play, I'm like, you know what, I think that might be going over the fence. Like, that's pretty, pretty deep. If you're a baseball fan, you've probably seen some highlights where the outfielder runs back and it's going over the fence, but no, they jump up and they reach over the wall and they, they take the home run away, they catch it. Well, Paul is, about to, uh, Paul is about to go down in a blaze of glory. This ball's going back, and as I'm getting closer to the fence, I'm thinking, that's, that's going over. And sure enough, the ball goes over the fence, and Paul goes over the fence right behind it, just full-on Superman style over the fence. Ball goes over, Paul goes over, everything goes over the fence, except... Paul's pants. <laughs> Paul's pants were firmly attached to the very top of the fence. And so Paul's hanging over the other side of the fence with his pants at his ankles stuck to the top of the fence. And it was over 25 years ago, but I'm here to tell you, you can't unsee that. <laughs> She's lodged in there. 
It's not going away. But Paul found out that day that violating the fence, it has consequences. And I found out that day that when Paul violates the fence, it has consequences for me too. But, it, but the fence is really there for a reason, right? Sometimes they have much more dire consequences. So, so what are some of these fences? Last week, we really focused on matters of the heart, spiritual uh, principles, uh, posturing ourselves to view God as our provider. And, and today, yes, definitely is, uh, definitely is spiritual. But I just want to share with you a couple of really actionable, pragmatic, doable steps that will work for you. I'm really glad that there's a handful of young people. I made my kids come upstairs to, uh, to be part of this because I, uh, I think it will be helpful to you. Uh, to kind of learn some of these. So we're going to be in Leviticus 18 if you're, uh, if you're reading along. It's probably been a while since you went to Leviticus uh, back in the beginning, but, uh, but that's, what, that's what we're going to do. So let me just tell you about Leviticus. It's one of the first five books of the Bible, and the first five books of the Bible are just chock full of history, and they tell us a lot about God. <laughs> Big surprise, I know. But what we see is, uh, thank you, I got a courtesy chuckle somewhere in there. <laughs> Uh, what we see in the first five books of the Bible, we see things like the creation story, how God made the universe and, every, and everything in it. Uh, we see God establish who he is. He establishes his personality. He establishes his relationship to humanity. He establishes parameters within which humanity can thrive and survive. And we also see a repeated pattern that as humans, we are not very good at staying within those parameters. Uh, if you've ever feel, felt like, man, I keep trying to do this right and I keep messing it up, believe me, you are not the first. That's pretty much been happening since the very beginning. And so that's what we see along the way. And in Leviticus, God sets up a boundary for his economic protection of the people. Now, it's different because they were an agrarian society, so he's, he's speaking in their terms, uh, but I think you'll, you'll see the connection pretty easily. Leviticus 18, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt. You might remember they had previously been slaves in Egypt. You must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. God says, these other places where they don't know me, don't live like them. You do know me. Live like people who know me. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws. Stay within my fences. And be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. If you're wondering... Um, he was fairly clear about the fact that he's God. <laughs> uh, that seemed to be a recurring theme. But I, I love the part that I put in red right there. Because God says, listen, the person who stays within these boundaries that I'm setting up, um, they're not going to have the life sucked out of them. They're not going to lose everything. They're not going to be in a terrible situation. They're going to live. They're going to experience life by staying within the parameters. Sometimes we think God's interested in taking, but that's, that's not the case. That's not the case at all. He sets up this fence for their protection. Now, if the protection is inside the fence, the protection is not outside the fence. God's saying, stay, stay in the safe zone. There's a boundary. Don't go past it. Uh, if you're a parent uh, or you ever had parents or you've ever seen parents, you know that any loving parent has boundaries for their kids. If you've ever even cared about any kid anywhere, you know that boundaries have to exist. Uh, if God didn't love us, he would say, you know what? Do whatever you want. So the first fence that I just, want to, I just want to throw at you, the first of the two fences, probably has no bearing on you. 
This one really is only for people who've ever made an impulsive purchase. So probably no one here. Probably no one here has ever like purchased like a thigh master. Um, I tell you what, if you've ever seen that guy on the top right, you will want a slap chop. I'm not even kidding. He is way more excited about a slap chop than anyone should be about any infomercial product. Uh, so if you have a product like a Snuggie that maybe you bought on an infomercial, uh, this might pertain to you. Or if you've ever gotten yourself stretched a little too thin financially, felt a little bit of weight, uh, this might pertain to you, but that's probably no one in here. Uh, so we'll just breeze through this one. Um, here's the thing, just before we get started. I am not a financial planner. Uh, I'm a pastor, believe it or not. And uh, I don't want to accidentally posture myself as the financial guru in your life. Uh, I can't help you with your 401k. Pastors, what they're equipped to do is to speak biblical wisdom into the situations of life. That's what we're equipped to do. So I'm going to try to stick to that. But here's the thing. I don't think you have to be a financial planner or a Harvard MBA to realize that living inside your means is a good idea. And that's really fence number one. Live inside your means. Not necessarily the person next to you, unless they're your spouse, then they're the same. Uh, but worry about your means, because that's what God has provided for you. So Leviticus 19, one chapter over, beginning of verse 9, uh, God, God gives this really interesting instruction to the landowners. He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. Again, I am the Lord your God. And then he gives a list of commands, and in verse 13, one of those commands is, do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. So in this brief section, God, God addresses three groups of people, and it basically encompasses all of their society. You've got the landowner, that's who he's giving the directive to. These are the affluent in their society. You also have the workers, maybe the, the common folks, people who are out there working for a living. And you also have the poor and the foreigner. Now, just like in our society, these are the people who are kind of pushed to the margins. And God addresses, really, each of them. What does he say to them? He says that, for you who have much, don't feel like you have to have everything. What I've provided for you is going to be enough for you. And that's a tension that we all live in, you know, this tension between enough and not enough. Really, at any, at any place on the socioeconomic scale, that tension is in play. And God tells the landowner, you know what? You don't have to keep it all for yourself. You can be generous with it. What, I, what I'm telling you to take is enough for you. And then he says to the worker, he says, you know what? Your wages, what I've provided for you, that's going to be enough for you. I'm going to make sure that's enough for you. And then he even says to the poor, you know what? I know you may feel like you're at the, you're at the bottom and you're struggling while everyone else is thriving, but trust in me, what I'm providing for you is enough. I haven't forgotten about you. God addresses everyone. He's made for provision for everyone, and he said, what I've provided for you is enough. But isn't that really hard for us to say that what God has provided for me is enough? Easy for you to say, you're God. But it's really plain to see if you just think about it from the other side. When we try to go beyond our means, it's a guaranteed way to go backwards. It's a guaranteed way to find ourselves enslaved to money. If you're a young person here, listen, I'm, I'm begging you, do not go past this fence. Live within your means. Now, if you're an older person here, I don't want you to go past the fence either, uh, but, but if you're a young person here, listen, trying to live beyond your means 
will make you a slave for years. It will dig a hole much bigger than you ever wanted to be in. Respect this fence. So again, I'm not a financial advisor, um, but I just want to give you a tool. This is kind of unspiritual, um, but I don't want to just say live within your means and then go and figure out how to do that. I want to actually give you a tool. So if you have a financial plan in your household, which I know a lot of you do, uh, awesome. Keep doing that. Uh, if you don't, uh, or you're not there yet, maybe you're, say, like going into seventh grade, uh, take note of this. Let's do this. If you have kids, take note of this. Teach this to your kids. So uh, the plan I want to show you really quickly, it's commonly referred to as the 10-10-80 plan. Uh, it's based on biblical principles. There's a lot of great ways to manage your money, um, but this might be one if you don't have one because it's super simple. Essentially how it works is this. The first 10% of what you have, you give to God. You give it back to God, as a matter of fact, returning it to God. Uh, and the, the place that we do that is in our Christian community, your local church. Maybe that's here. Maybe that's somewhere else. Maybe you're listening online. You go to another church. Wherever your Christian community is, that's the place to return that back to God. Now, the economic atheist will say, wait a second, I'm better off with 100% than I am with 90% because, you know, 100 is more than 90. I mean, I product of public education right there. I figured that out on my own. 100% is better than 90%, but the question that's not accounted for in that is, is 100% outside the fence of God's favor really better than 90% inside the fence of God's favor? I'm not going to go that direction right now. I know what my answer is, so you can think about that for you. Is 100% out on my own outside of God's favor really better than 90% inside of God's favor. You can answer that for yourself. So the first 10%, return it to the Lord. The second 10% is a savings, a margin, a cushion. Uh, this doesn't sound super spiritual, you might, but you might remember a few months ago, Pastor Rick talked about having margin in our schedules. And one of the things he said was that when our schedule gets tight, what's the first thing to go? Things like spending time with God, being in a Christian community at church, being in a Christian community outside of church, spending time doing the things that will actually feed us and build us up, those are the first things to go when our schedule gets tight. Well, the same thing is true with money. What's the first thing to go out the window as soon as the finances get tight? Generally speaking, it's going to be whatever thing God has called you to do. Giving, being generous, investing in other people, those are the first things that go. Uh, my morning coffee for $6, that's pretty far down the list. That's, you know, like the 12th thing to go. Uh, but the things that really matter, those are usually the first thing to go when the squeeze is on. We can avoid that if we have some margin, if we have some cushion. So 10%, 10%, what's left over? 80%. That's the part that we live on. Uh, now, you might be thinking, in fact, there's a good chance that a lot of us are thinking, I can't live on 80% of my income. Uh, and that might be true for you. Maybe your financial obligations exceed 80% of your income. Maybe they exceed... 100% of your income. Uh, that may be true for you. That's true for an awful lot of people. You're certainly not alone. That is the weight. That's the weight of financial stress that doing money God's way will take off your shoulders. Now, it's not something that you can just flip the switch and get there today, but, but think about this. If you were to get in a position where you could execute the 10-10-80 plan, that financial burden would be light because you would have financial margin in your life. You'd have cushion. So here's what I am proposing. Uh, do me a favor. Let's interact. If you're a parent or a grandparent, could you raise your hand? 
Just keep it up for a second. Uh, if you're maybe not one of those, but you have, uh, there are young people in your life that you care about, uh, can you just raise your hand for me? I think that's just about all of us. Caitlin doesn't care about any young people, uh, but the rest of us care about them. Okay, good. You can put, you can put your hands down. Uh, can, we just, can we just make a family deal? Can we just make a family deal among us right now uh, that we're going to teach our kids and our grandchildren and the young people that we care about how to do money God's way so that they don't have to live in financial bondage? Can, can, we just, can we just make a deal that the young people who are close to us, you know what, we'll take that small amount of time to have the conversation about doing money God's way, making smart choices so that they don't have to feel the weight that a lot of us have felt at various times, and maybe you're feeling that right now. Life's kind of an ebb and flow financially, I've found. Uh, let's, let's teach that to them so that they can live in financial freedom. Okay, so we got that. The first, uh, the first fence is living within your means. Live within your means. The second one is to know the season, to respect the cycle that God has set up. Back in Leviticus 19, God spells out a plan for his people to observe an agrarian cycle. Um, and I think what's interesting about it is that we can look at this cycle, uh, you know, their farming cycle, and we can actually make a, uh, an application to our lives. The Bible uses farming analogies all the time for our lives. And this is what it says in Leviticus 19.23. It says, When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years you are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. Oh, by the way, I am the Lord your God. I inserted that part. Um, here's what I find interesting about this. When you, when you look at this passage, just a quick observation. What is God's goal? I may have tipped it off by highlighting it in red. But what's the objective that God is after? To increase their harvest. That's what God wants to do in our lives. What could God possibly want to take from us? I can't honestly imagine. God's intent is to increase your harvest. That's what the, that's what the fence exists for. So we see this cycle in here. and It has three parts. And I think we can see them all in our lives. The first one is the planting season. Uh, the seasons of the cycle are to plant, grow, harvest. I was really hoping that I could make that last one thrive, but it's just not there. Uh, plant and grow and harvest. These are the seasons we hear, we see. All through your childhood, all through your adolescence, young adulthood, you are not a financial asset to your family. I don't know how to say that nicely to you, <laughs> but if you have children under the age of 25... They are, I'm sure, a very well-loved financial liability. Y'all are expensive. Uh, that's, just, that's just the reality. But in that season of your life, your parents, grandparents, friends, teachers, all kinds of people are investing, planting into you so that in the future you'll be able to go out and thrive. Now, here's what happens to a lot of people. Uh, they get a little bit of financial freedom, maybe a first job, and all of a sudden, I got to have. You know, we just, we feel like I got to have this. I got to have that. Maybe it's not even a first job. Maybe it's just an allowance. There's just this need to have, to have, have, have. You're in the planting phase. Don't shortcut the cycle. Don't have to have it all right now. Respect that phase. The second phase uh, is kind of what we, when we enter middle adulthood, maybe in your 20s, 30s, 40s. This is the growing phase. 
Uh, this is really during the time when we do a lot of work. We're growing financially. And the truth is, I think, I think most of us are okay with the idea of working for it. Uh, I don't think in general most of us you know, want to have things just handed to us. I think we're generally okay with working for the things we have. And what we're doing really is building upon all that was planted into our lives when we were younger. We're building on it. And this, this phase is the hardest work of the three, for sure. For some people, the financial crop grows really quickly. You ever, you ever know those people? Like, boom, everything they touch, it just like turns to gold. The crop just springs up every time. What's wrong with you? You're a freak. Uh, but the truth is, it's work for everybody. It's, it's work for everybody. And then, hopefully, if we've done the first two seasons of the cycle appropriately, we enter into a season of harvest. It's a time where we have a little bit more discretionary income, a little bit more discretionary time on our hands if we've done the first two seasons right. Uh, this is the time where a lot of people just have a lot more freedom than maybe they did earlier in their lives. Looks different for everybody, uh, but that's basically the cycle. Now, I think we could all say, I'd be pretty happy if that cycle played out in my life. I would be okay with that. Uh, planting phase, great, got to do that. Working phase, I don't mind working for it. Harvest, holler, I'm okay with that. Right? We'd all be pretty, pretty uh, okay with that. But, but let me ask this question. What would have happened if the Israelites had gone into the land, planted their plants, and then immediately harvested it the first year and eaten the fruit? Would the fifth year have been as abundant? Well, no, the, because their, their fruit trees wouldn't have matured in the way that God intended. The, the harvest of the fifth year wouldn't have been the same lush harvest that they ended up with. So listen, if you're a young adult in this room, if you're a teenager, ah, honor this cycle. Think about what you want the harvest season to be like and take the steps to get there. Um, you know, think about um, maybe some people in your life who have made that happen, and you look at their life and think, you know what, I'd want to be like that. Take their advice, not your buddy Jim, okay? Jim, Jim doesn't know yet because he's still planting. He's still being planted, I guess. Uh, take the advice of people who are already, already there. If you're in the growing phase, which is probably a majority of us, don't be tempted to try and get to the harvest too quickly. That will stretch you thin. That will create pressures, and it'll actually rob from the harvest. Don't try and keep up with the Joneses, because that's what the Joneses are doing. Why would you want to get there before them? They're, they're stretching themselves thin at a faster rate than you. That's all, they're, that's all they're doing. Honor God's financial cycle. Not the most like overwhelming spiritual concept, but what it does is it honors God. It puts him in charge. It makes him God, it gives him his seat back. And he knows a whole lot more about the future than you and I do. He's got a much better handle on that. Honoring these seasons, the season God has you in, in the financial sense, is going to lead to a good harvest at the end. And that's God's intent for you. Proverbs 22, 7, uh, it's a verse that you should memorize. And it's really short, so everybody wins. This is what it says. It says, the borrower becomes the lender's slave. You ever felt the weight of that? Like, I just cannot ever get out from under this. Indebtedness will do that to you. Don't let that happen to you. So God has established these, these two fences. Stay inside your means, not your neighbor's means, but your own means, and know the season that you're in. Now, I've been a pastor for a while, and what I do know is that there's an awful lot of people, well-intended, unintentionally, living outside of the fences living outside of the, uh, the parameters of 
where God has says, this is the safe zone for you. This is where my blessing is. These are the boundaries. An awful lot of us can maybe accidentally look around and realize, I'm outside the fence. I, I didn't mean to get here. I'm just here. An awful lot of us live there. Uh, now listen, I don't believe in shaming people into doing anything, spiritual or otherwise. Like, I think that's just a dumb way to live. Uh, I certainly don't believe in shaming people into getting back inside the fence. <laughs> I think that's the wrong reason to go there. Uh, so what I'm going to ask you to do is, uh, we're going to close in just a second, but, but I just want to ask you to receive what I'm about to say to you as a friend. Because uh, I just don't believe in religious shaming. I think, that's, I think that's complete misrepresentation of God's heart. So this is what I, I want to ask you. Could it be that you're working really hard and making plans um, and doing calculations and taking all the steps that you know to take, could it be that you're doing all of that when really the only thing that's required is to just hop back over the fence, just get back inside the fence? Like maybe, maybe is it possible that you're working really hard in a lot of areas, but really the only thing that's missing is just getting back inside the boundary of God's favor? Uh, could that be? Only, only you would know that in your life. And the big idea, really, for today is just the question, are you living inside these two fences? Are you living within your means, the boundary that God has set up for you there? Are you living inside that? And, and are you observing the cycle that you're in? Are you, are you trying to harvest at the wrong season of life? Uh, I pray that, um, that you'll choose life inside the fence, because God really does intend not just, not just to make sure you get by inside the fence, but he really does intend to increase your harvest, that you would have true life, that you would have a full and abundant life. That's his intent for you. And I pray that really none of us would live like the economic atheist, where we would hold on to that area so tightly that it just, it leaves us as the one in bondage. So this is what I want to do. Um, I'm going to pray, uh, and this is, this is kind of weird for me because I feel like I've seen this principle just abused, uh, but I'm going to pray that God would bless you, and, uh, and I'm going to encourage you to stretch out your faith and ask God to bless you financially, and if you need to make a commitment to God to, uh, to get back inside the fence, whatever that looks like for you, uh, I'm going to pray that even right now as we pray and just reflect for a second, um, that this would be a, a turning point for you in that, because I do honestly believe that God has good things for your future. Lord, I'm grateful that you are so faithful to your promise. Uh, man, I'm all over the place, but there's just no moving you. God, you made a commitment, and you will not relent. God, I'm so grateful that you are, you are unlike me in that way. God, I thank you for your promise. God, I thank you that you have, uh, you have established this agreement that if we'll honor you, you will provide and prosper us, Lord, in this, in this life, whatever that looks like. And, and so, God, I want to pray for this group of people. Uh, these friends that I care so deeply about. Uh, God, I pray that you would protect our hearts from uh, just the allure of wealth and possession and, and the need to have. Uh, God, I pray you'd protect our hearts for that, that we would never look to that for our joy and for our hope. Uh, God, but I also pray that you would, you would bless these households financially. Lord, that you would, um, God, that you would send in just an amazing provision, Lord, that would allow us to live generously. God, that would allow us to be so grateful for what you've done that we just, we just couldn't help but live generously. And so, uh, God, I thank you for all that you have provided. God, I pray for each and every home that this would just be a season of 
blessing, God, and that it would, it would be a tool you would use to turn our hearts back to you and to praise you for it, God. In Jesus' name.